Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and for today's episode, we're going to be talking about what sales want from their competitive content in order to win a deal. To talk about this, I was joined by Clues Account Executive Jacob Geberwald. If you haven't heard him before, he's a really smart guy, and he's also a lively character. I've picked his brain a lot on the topic of competitive selling, which is why I wanted him on the show. In the episode, we get into how Jacob uses competitive content to tell a story to buyers, how to center the stories around the buyer's problem rather than making centering it about yourself, why collaboration between sales and marketing actually creates the best messaging for sellers, and then also some of his personal experiences in the field, both good and bad. So with all that said, let's get into today's episode. All right. Today, I am joined by account executive at Clue, co-founder of Sales for the Culture, national debate champion. Maybe not debate champion. Yeah, I, I've, I've competed a little bit. I, I didn't win the national championships. If any of my debate friends are listening, they'll light you up for it. They'll be like, no, he, he didn't make it that far. <laughs> and you've, you've probably seen his LinkedIn content on your timeline with his raps, his awesome sales content, and when he gives his favorite marketing coworker shout outs, it's Jacob Gebrewald. Jacob, how's it going? Adam, so glad to be here, man. This is exciting. Full disclosure, the reason we created this podcast is so that Jacob and I could just talk and claim that we're doing work. Honestly, this is, but I literally blocked off all day just to get excited about the podcast <laughs> with Adam before the actual podcast with Adam. <laughs> honestly, honestly. But for today's episode, we want to talk about what competitive content salespeople want from their competitive program. Because last week, we talked about the importance of sales and bringing them into your competitive program early and explaining why it matters to them and really trying to pitch what's in it for them. And so this week, I wanted to flip the script a little bit and get the seller's perspective. So first off, Jacob, what does good competitive content look like for you as a seller? So I'm maybe a little bit more philosophical than, uh, you know, some other friends I've, I've worked with in sales. I, I like getting up in the like heady conversation, the theorizing and all that sort of stuff. When someone like me says good competitive content looks like what helps me close deals, you know, that matters to salespeople. <laughs> like I'm all about like the, the theoretical parsing stuff out, but at the end of the day, like, um, that's, that's a fun conversation for, for when I'm off clock or, or whatever, I I'm, I'm here to do a job for the company and I need competitive content that helps me get more close one revenue for the team and also for helping more buyers out. So that's, that's what I think it is. So, and as well with you, like you're, you're, you're a social guy, you, you network with a lot of different people from a lot of different kind of industries, but particularly in that sales industry as well, like what are some of the common complaints you've heard when you're talking to other salespeople when they're just bringing up like, look, I'm struggling to stay on top of the competitor. Like we're just, we're just not like, we're not winning enough deals right now. Is there like a common thread that you hear from those types of people? Yeah. So from my own personal experience, um, I can speak to, I've experienced bad competitive content or content that didn't help me close more deals when one, I didn't, trust that the content was up to date and reliable just frankly i'm i'm seeing something i look at the competitor's website though and what is being described to me in this battle card or pdf or excel sheet or whatever doesn't really seem to be lining up 
or a customer's telling me something very, very different. And then I just start losing confidence overall in the integrity of the materials that are getting put in front of me. So I say just the up-to-dateness um, as one big piece. Another big piece is how much it helps me tell a story versus, you know, roots me in, in the kind of feature benefit bake-off thing. Don't get me wrong. There are situations where you got to know that sort of stuff, but I can tell if the, the competitive content is more so just trying to get me to hit features every time, but it's not really getting to the why of what the other person cares about. Like they don't really care about my product. They care about their problem. Um, and so if, if the content that I'm getting doesn't help me story, what it is that we're doing to help them solve their problem better than other options that they have available to them, it's, it's missing that story element. Um, just that we have a feature and another company doesn't, it's not really helping anybody. There's a few things, other things I can probably spout off, but those are probably the biggest ones that I've experienced as a seller and that other sellers, when they're riffing with me or complaining with me about, you know, I tell them I work at a competitive company, they go, oh man, let me tell you about my competitive stuff. We start talking, that's what they get to. You're telling me that prospects don't like it if you just have a grocery list of all of your features? That doesn't, that doesn't win them? So here's the thing, right? I've, I've, and I know, I know. That was facetious, by the way. I, oh, dog, I, I got it. I got it 100%. But I know I've got product marketing friends and sales enablement friends that when I ask them what they think good competitive content looks like, like we're not disagreeing on that point, right? The issue, I think there's two issues though, in a lot of ways that um, product marketers and sales enablement folk that I've, I've chatted with, um, ha- I guess, try and hack that problem. So on one on one side of it, it's, Focus on the story, focus on the value, but without getting a clear understanding of what the differentiation is first and then building the story from there, but making sure that you're getting to a story. So on one side of the coin, it's like feature benefits, like understanding those differentiators, doesn't matter at all. It's all about the story. It's like, well, how do you understand what story you're telling if you don't understand those factual differences? So so, um, maybe oversimplifying this conversation leads to telling stories that don't actually map to reality. Uh, and that loses confidence in a conversation with a buyer because your competitor is telling the exact same story you are and they have to, the buyer has to make up in their own mind what, what the real story is. Um, so that's one, one kind of piece is like throwing out the feature benefits stuff in its proper place because we want to oversimplify and think of stories. Second piece though, is we, try and tell stories that sound good in the story room, but don't actually sound uh, effective in the battlefield and pulling back stories from what's actually worked. Cause I'm a seller who has a lot of respect for my marketing friends. I'm not like one of the people that's, you know, we're, we're talking all the time, right? You and I, and, and Oh yeah. Know. Oh yeah. I lo- love marketing friends. I'm not here bashing marketing friends, but at the same time, like what I really appreciate about y'all is y'all are constantly trying to pull these stories and, and talk tracks and snippets and what's working like from what's, what's actually playing out in battle, not just what's sitting in the ivory tower room. And I feel like that's maybe another challenge that comes. Well, let's, let's get into this then, because I was going to save that a little bit for later, but let's bring it to the table now, because again, when I've talked to customers and product marketers, the biggest thing is this disconnect, right? Between sales and the product marketers themselves or whoever's creating that kind of messaging around the competitive content. It's someone we touched on last week. I touched on with Alex, but where, where does that disconnect occur? Like from your sales perspective, it's like, okay, product marketers aren't in the field They're they're telling a story. And you said that was important initially to be able to tell a story. 
but it has to be rooted in reality to some degree, right? It has to actually share a realistic perspective and has an actual understanding of where you are different from your competitors, I suppose. So I can say like the tried and true stuff, right? I, I love um, when I'm able to speak to something from a customer story perspective. So, you know, the, the classic example here being, if I know that I'm in a very, uh, you know, tense competitive situation, I'm coming up against the same competitor every time, uh, I should know the handful of things that we can do that they can't. I'm probably, some of us are probably as reps bringing this up in our pitches when we're in a competitive deal. And when we ask a buyer, you know, why did you end up making us the, the vendor of choice? Like, I'm just really curious. I think that's one of the most important questions in the whole sales cycle. Like, man, we, you made us your vendor of choice. I don't want to sound surprised, but why? <laughs> and just let them talk and just keep asking, keep digging. Um, because they're going to talk about the things that they were able to solve with you that they weren't able to solve with someone else. And then that becomes the customer story that you bring back in your next evaluation. You go, you know, this was a really big part of the puzzle that let, X, you know, Greg at X Sasko, you know, pick us over the, the other option. So I think rooting it in, rooting these these differences in customer stories um, is, is a classic tried and true example. Um, I think a, another piece that I really appreciate. And by the way, feel free to cut me off here anytime. Um, but another piece that I, I appreciate, especially with having something like Gong, I know not everyone has those sorts of things, but to be able to listen in on how other reps are speaking to this stuff and the same general idea, right? Like a couple of people, especially if you're like earlier on and testing out some messaging on something, they might you know, have a little bit of a different slant on how they, they run the messaging based on their personality. Yeah. But some, some of those pieces will remain consistent. Some of those things will be different. I really like hearing the same feature, you know, get compared to the same sort of like differentiator we're trying to nail from two or three different reps. Um, and whether or not you're able to do it uh, through a gong or just pull them in through interviews or whatever. Um, I, I like hearing how people from different levels of experience try and spin the same sort of. Uh, totally. Of yeah. And, and that, that's an interesting point too, actually, in terms of like that messaging aspect is when you're actually bringing in real examples from real reps and how they're handling objection in the field, how they're differentiating from a competitor, it's, it's more like peer-to-peer -peer learning. And I don't know if this is necessarily the case, but if there is just this, like you mentioned, almost ivory tower storytelling or messaging that you're taking with a grain of salt because you're you're looking at this messaging from a product market that hasn't actually consulted with real experiences from sales reps and isn't pointing towards these real examples from sales reps, then it's like, well, what am I going to actually do with this? Like I can, I'm not going to be as likely to use that. Whereas when you start to bring as a product market, if you can start to bring in other successful reps, especially successful reps, it becomes more peer to peer learning, which is, I, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective as a salesperson, you're going to be more receptive to learn in that way, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, from, I've been at different sorts of orgs, different sorts of teams. I've, I've been at, um, you know, you know, the first sales hire at, uh, you know, a startup that the found, one of the founders was selling, I was selling and someone, he was saying, you know, this is, this is what we're running. Cause it's what's working in my conversations. That's one type of credibility. 
when you've got, you know, the, the enterprise that's, you know, the marketing department's way over there. <laughs> I have, I have not met our marketers. I'm just, I'm just a rep on the floor getting it done. I am far more likely to trust a person that I can see their credibility, like they've demonstrated their credibility to me in some way. Um, and for, for product marketers, sales enablement folk, to not at least try to leverage some of that credibility, some of that already established buy-in. Like we know social proof works in so many other settings. Why would we not leverage it here? <laughs> um, but, and, and, and I've not trusted, like I can, I can draw some sort of correlation there between when I've even perceived, whether or not it was true, but the, the way that the messaging came up with was more and more distanced from the field, the less confidence I put in that program. Um, obviously, and the, the polar opposite being what I experience uh, here, where I know I can see our product marketing team and our marketing team, you know, getting into huddles with sales reps. We're talking about, oh, I heard this from so-and-so and, and they can name drop, like that means something. So yeah, couldn't agree more. I, I might be putting you on the spot here to play armchair um, psychologist, but why do you think that is sometimes a PMM or sorry, product marketer? feels the need to take on all of this messaging um, in terms of the competitive content and how, uh, how a salesperson should talk when they're, when they're presenting themselves compared to a competitor and not relying on other experienced reps. Yeah, it could be a lot of pieces. So one could just be that the, the history within an organization has not been there where there is that tight collaboration. And so one team thinks one thing the other team thinks the other, both think that they're right. And neither, like there, there hasn't been that kind of cohesion facilitated over the history of that organization. And so it might not just be like that one individual in a silo. It might be like the, the broader organizational culture that they don't have things to learn from each other and cultivating that isn't, you know, uh, a small thing. So I would, I would say like, it could be a culture, a broader cultural thing. Also, it just might not have been modeled to them in their leadership, right? Like maybe you had a mentor who was just like, yo, the way that you demonstrate your competence is you're the person who gets it done. And that's, that's just the way it is. And I think there's a different kind of generation brewing uh, of, of, of sales and marketing folk who recognize the cross-functional collaboration without that is you're, you're going to be a fraction of the impact and effectful, effective marketer or seller that you could be if you leaned on other people for their strengths too. Like there could be a lot of reasons, <laughs> but, but I will say, I won't pretend to know why it happens for every person, but I can say that the most effective people get through whatever that hurdle is to figure it out. Uh, that they, they, they don't end up staying in their silo. So I won't play uh, armchair psychologist for too long, but I will say that there's something, there's something in those that, that define a path through it that needs to be emulated. There is something to that, like in terms of teachers I've had, bosses I've had, leaders I had, the best ones don't just speak as a voice of authority, right? They, they bring people in, they bring in ideas. They're always listening. Like some of the best leaders I've had are great listeners. And I think that's kind of tied into what you're saying there as well in terms of if you're just, yeah, if you're just creating all of this messaging yourself in a little bubble and you felt that that's, and we're not putting blame in this case, but if that's something that you've come up in, like end users are not going to be as receptive to that nowadays for that kind of, that kind of messaging, that kind of mode of operation or communication. 
And it's also like a trust question, right? Fundamentally, uh, do you, if you have a vision for how you want something to go and you don't necessarily trust that other partners, pockets, whatever, um, can either be aligned with you in that vision or help improve that vision if they're going to make contributions or whatever it is, then, you know, it's not a small thing to give up control in that situation. And it's not saying that you need to have, you know, the sales rep down the floor, write all your messaging. It's just like, at the end of the day, do you have a basic belief that there's lots of gold sitting in these reps' heads. That there's lots of gold in their experience talking to customers. If you, if you've got a high confidence in that, some of the trust issues that may or may not be there, control issues that may or may not be there, take a back seat to this belief that customer impact and voice and all that is so important. There is no one in the org who's more tied into that stuff than people that are talking to buyers every day and that's customer success that's sales that's you know and and tapping into that poses far fewer risks than not <laughs> that that totally makes sense and i think you're, you're preaching to the choir here i, I want to get back to some of your own personal experiences as a salesperson and i think i i started this off on the wrong foot by asking you like what are other sales people you've talked to the problems they've had but and you don't want to be throwing people under the bus here but what about yourself have there been times where you've been put against a competitor or, a, or an objection has been thrown your way and you're, you're, you're a man who does not struggle to find words. Have you ever been stumped? Uh, absolutely. And it's so funny to me because now I'm in a compet. Obviously don't, I don't want to talk up clue too too much here because this isn't really about us, but um, I've been in organizations that didn't competitively enable reps, right? Um, you don't need to be at Clue to competitively enable your reps. But <laughs> I've been in a situation where countless times where I go, I'm in a customer conversation, they bring up a competitor that I either don't know about or I don't know enough about to speak to intelligently. You know, I dance my way through it. I know it was kind of subpar. I, I could see them kind of rear back and, and, not really fully go all in with me, but they're kind of sort of there. I go, okay, I can handle that better. I go up to my manager or I go up to the sales trainer and I go, Hey, what can you tell me about this competitor? And they give me the answer that frustrates me so much, which is just focus on our value. <laughs> Jacob, just focus on our value. And I'll tell you why that answer bothers me. It's not because it's untrue, but what they mean when they say it and what's actually required to focus on value, big gap. Because what's actually required to focus on value, right? Like I think of this from a, from like a debate perspective. Um, as I was, a, I was a debater before I was in sales, I had a chance to judge at the world championships for debate. And as a debate judge, I'm sitting there, uh, high school world championships, by the way, not uni, uh, but they're, they're, they're all still pretty smart. Uh, so I'm, I'm, Jordan shotting down these arguments from these Mensa babies, all pit, like sending a bunch of information my way. And they're all telling me that they've got value to bring to the table. But crucially, there's an entire speech in this format that I would judge in that's dedicated to taking a machine gun to the arguments of the other team and then just kind of distilling down what are the key unique benefits they've brought in their analysis. And I, as a judge, can't weigh value you in a vacuum. 
Because I've got alternative options in, in, in our, as a buyer. It's, I can stick with my status quo, my Excel spreadsheets. It could be, I go with one of your competitors. It could be, I go with, you know, a different vertical or different industries way of solving the problem, uh, you know, rather than, you know, uh, your, your specific, um, you know, competitive enablement versus sales enablement versus other things, right? I could, I could, I could focus on another vendor that's solving a different sort of problem to deal peripherally with what I've got on my hands. There's lots of other options I've got. And unless I, as the person trying to communicate value, understand clearly what the counterfactual is, what the other option is, what the other case would be that you would buy. And unless I can weigh the value of the two and give you the distinct unique things and show you, not just assert that the value is unique, but distill and show you like pretty clearly analyze like what's the unique value that you're getting here. Unless I'm doing that, I can't focus on the value. I need a clear understanding of what the other alternatives are. And when I go to my manager, and they say, focus on the value. And I say, well, what's our unique value here? And they go, well, we're doing, you know, we're, we're helping you advertise better, get in front of more prospects or whatever it is. It's like, that's what their other option is <laughs> saying too, fam. Like, what, what are you asking me to say? And if you assert the same story as your competitor and believe in the depths of your heart that it's unique, but that's not connected to reality, you have lost credibility with your buyer. And as a sales rep, if you're smart, you'll see that and you'll stop going to that manager. You'll stop going to that sales enablement person. You'll stop going to that product marketer because they're disconnected from reality. And if you've got any IQ at all, you'll see it and you'll start doing stuff on your own and that'll lead to its own problems with rogue messaging across an Oregon, blah, 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 blah. But that's, that's something I have like, I just get really worked up about. Anytime <laughs> someone says focus on the value, but they aren't getting clear about reality to distill what that value is. For well, from, it sounds, it's pretty hard-headed, just focus on your value. Like I understand to a point, I wasn't there, but I understand to a point what they're saying, but it's like, if you're telling a story and I think like you're saying in, in, in debate, and you're far more experienced in debate, but like you mentioned, it's, it's not in a vacuum. Like you, you are still telling a story. You're comparing yourself against someone else and what you bring to the table, your argument compared to somebody else. And if you're just focusing on your value, you're, you're telling half the story. It's like if I told a story and left out one of the main characters the whole time, that doesn't make sense. No one roots for Batman without the Joker, right? Sure. Like, and not, to, not that you're painting your competitors to be a maniac like the Joker, but like, you know what I'm getting there. Like you need to paint a fuller picture and then you can actually start to tell your story. And then you bring in your values as, as you mentioned there. And this is, I think, one of the interesting parts of that. When sellers are bought in to the integrity of the competitive program, when they believe that the people that they're that are in charge of calling the shots and running the uh, calling what plays to run in a given situation, when they believe that those people have a clear understanding of reality, they're more likely to trust and participate in what that person's telling them to do, and that includes continuing to build on the understanding of reality that that quarterback for the competitive program has. So what that what that practically looks like is if that sales manager I had once upon a time was saying, oh, what did you figure out on that call? Like what, what points did that competitor or that buyer say the competitor was leaning on 
that really matter to them or that can do what we can't. If they had a disposition more of asking questions and kind of teasing out some of these pieces, and I could consistently see that my answers to those questions translated into the plays that we were running, I would have far more confidence, one, that I'm not just screaming into a void. <laughs> if I know as a seller that when I tell my company stuff that's happening about my competitors, that's going to better enable us to beat those competitors. Like I'm, I feel heard. So that's one element, but far less like touchy feely, just getting real practical. When we've got better competitive material, I'm going to close more deals, like coming back to the top, right? Like I love waxing eloquent, getting philosophical, but stealing value stories. I love all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like my job is to help our buyers by getting our service to their hands and obviously bring home wins for the team here at Clue. And if our competitive content helps me do that, I'm going to use it and I'm going to want to see it get even better so it can help me do even more of that. So at the end of the day, like that, it's that um, back and forth between the team that is quarterbacking the competitive strategy and the people in the field feeling heard and that what they're sending back is actually going to allow them to get more close one revenue down. Um, that's, that's really, I think, the magic recipe uh, for, for a competitively enabled org. That's, uh, yeah, it's a two-way street, right? Like... And, to, and it, again, it ties back to that kind of leadership or the people that are in charge of this competitive strategy actually listening to the reps, leaning on the reps more and not just kind of when things get tough or you're not sure on an objection or how to handle it that you just go inwards and you're like, I'm going to solve this. And it's a nat sometimes it's a natural reaction is like you take the problem on yourself and you work inwards because I've got to solve this. I know. From, from firsthand experience, I can say I've done that many a time, but it's not the best resolution in that situation. Yeah. I'm also curious because there's a lot of different types of salespeople, not only from in their personality traits, but like you've got newer reps, you've got really experienced reps, you've got reps that win a lot, you've got tech savvy reps, not tech savvy reps. And I, I wanted to get your personal ex experience in this because you're fairly new to the Clue team. You've been, what, six, seven months now? Yep. Sim similar to me. Um, when you first joined the team, what was the kind of competitive content that you consumed as you were getting familiar with your competitors? Like, what, what, what were you looking for? What was valuable to you? And has it changed over time now that, now that you're the old hat, right? You're the old hat around here. How how has that changed over time now with the competitive content you want? Is there a difference? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a super helpful distinction. I, as a new rep to Clue, wasn't just new to Clue, I was new to SaaS, right? So in understanding the onboarding process, the coming back to the reason we were just talking about before value is relative, right? It's not just in a vacuum. Like I knew right off the bat, I wanted to figure out not just how do I understand clues, features or benefits or whatever. It was, what is the unique value that our clients care about relative to each of these different competitors? So I was, I was a, you know, very hungry uh, as a new rep, um, especially new to this sort of industry. And I've, I've had that every company I've gone to that hunger, but I haven't always had the assets to 
feast on, let's say. <laughs> um, so I would, I, I, and I've definitely felt like starving in roles before being like, why can't anyone tell me something about my competitors? So uh, getting into Clue, um, I was able to, you know, go through battle cards, get up to date on each of these competitors, get up to date on the kind of different plays that will run. And then, you know, really using that to kind of test myself back and forth. So, so the battle cards in full, really important. As I am like, I kind of know what's on those battle cards now. What I care more about is when there's something new that happens, obviously, um, and getting an ad hoc answer to my question. So I like to be able to just search for my answer to my question. So I, I mean, it's, it's cool. I'll also like, we've got some pretty comp, compete competent reps on our team so I can shoot some people a message. Sure. That happens, but I like being able to search for that stuff within clue. Um, and I think beyond that, it just helps me have this culture around we as a team are compete competent people. Like we know our landscape, we know what's going on. And I don't want to be the rep that's fallen behind on it. <laughs> I think is mostly, I think a lot of the thing. So I need to stay on, we got a competitive Intel channel in Slack that I also go and check out. Um, you know, people are, are sending stuff in the digest. I've literally never read a clue digest. I didn't get value out of. Um, so there are other pieces, but I think it's more of just like this general ambiance of, okay, I'm, I'm getting onboarded. I, I know now things I wish I would have known, like at all my other companies about my competitors. Cool. But that also sets a tone. Like this company is a compete competent company. And if I want to keep up with the other people in my game, I've got to be like abreast of what's going on in the market. So that's, um, I think it's, it's more of like the culture that it sets even, uh, not just how often I'm accessing the assets, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And I think um, when you were talking about that, now that you're more confident, it's the ability to access stuff on an ad hoc basis quickly. Like, when we, when we ran that um, competitive enablement report where we surveyed a lot of um, end users, salespeople, like the biggest issue that they're having right now with the competitive program is the inability to access stuff quickly, content quickly, or they don't know where, it's, where, it's, where it is. And so that is actually, a, it's a really good point you make with that. I want to jump back to something we talked about earlier with the storytelling piece. And we, we talked about how you can incorporate competitive content and the features and benefits into telling a story to your buyer. I'm also curious, how do you center these stories actually around the buyer and not make it all about yourself? I, I'm just from the school of thought that people don't care about my product. Like they just don't, <laughs> like, they don't care about yours. Like it's just, if we could start there, I think a lot of bad salespersonship goes out the window right? When you, when you're focused on what is the problem that someone was trying to solve? How did someone else in these shoes solve this problem? And then when you're getting to a differentiator, like features are not meaningful differentiators. Things that you want to accomplish that you could not accomplish in another setting, that's a meaningful differentiator to the buyer. So then it's, okay, what's, who's a person who had something that they wanted to accomplish? What is it they wanted to accomplish? Why did they want to accomplish it? Okay. 
Now, how do I go about describing how they went from like the decision process? And that's typically when I'm pitching, like that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle. Like, yes, it's an impact. And at the end of the day, like, you know, metrics are great. And I lean on that a lot, but at times it can also just be like, this person's in an evaluation position. This person is trying to make a buying decision. And so I, I don't know about you. I, I don't think you'll ever meet a seller that hates buying things as much as myself. Like I, even when we were like, I got married six months ago, right? Getting married six months ago, we moved into this place. I did not have to buy anything for our place except the stuff for my office. And even just like deciding on the desk, the chair, I hate it, I hate it. And what I appreciate, what I wanted someone to help me understand is how do I prioritize the things in front of me? Because I've got a lot of options. I'm not short on options, but I, 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 I would love some sort of framework, yardstick, weighing mechanism, whatever you want to put here to be able to know like what is a most helpful thing to prioritize in this moment. And if I talk about like, yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's a person who's trying to make a similar decision. One you know, thing that they really prioritized was being able to deploy things out to the deploy things out to their reps quickly um or get intel you know i don't need to get into the value props clue but the the thing that they wanted to be able to accomplish they found that they would be able to do just a little bit quicker or a little bit faster or a little bit less time or whatever it was if they had this and so that's something that they wanted they couldn't get from this competitor and that's why it ended up being important i don't know this is just like a quick example but like if people don't like people want help in terms of how to make decisions, especially when they're buying. So, so that I think uh, can be a, a helpful ingredient to uh, weave into the customer stories that you're telling. And, the, and the, it's really interesting, actually, from these customer stories you bring in and bring in, this is something that I've learned as well as yes, outcomes and metrics in these customer stories are great. That is because at the end of the day, that's the first thing they're thinking about is like, this, these are the outcomes that I need. But also not only like we've got Gary here and with this tool, Gary got this solution. That's fine, but there's a whole middle ground in between. And actually humanizing that story about how you get along to that point and how as a seller, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm talking about how to sell to a salesperson right now, but I found that from, um, from a marketing perspective, when you're kind of bringing in customer stories is the end point is a, the end point and the outcome is great, but it's also that whole process of how they get there. There's actually really a value. And I think does a lot of the selling for you. Yeah. And I think, so this is, there's also the, the maturity of the buyer that you're talking to, like some people are able to think at like organizational objectives level and tie everything they're doing to that. And that's awesome. I love working with those people. There's also people who are just like, I've just got this throbbing pain here that I need to solve and like ROI impact, all this sort of stuff. You're more so going to phrase that stuff in terms of ways that they sell this to their executives than the thing that they care about in the moment. Um, but I, I don't know if uh, you've uh, experienced Miller Hyman as a sales methodology before. But one of the things that uh, Miller Hyman uh, talks about is the idea of a win result. And I've lost too many deals in my career because I tried to get my champion wins without results. And I've lost too many deals in my career because I tried to get my champion results without wins. And this is the way that they define specifically, if I can get into it, the 
result is the objective metric that the business will look at at the end of the day. You need that. Without that, you're not building your business case. You're not getting, uh, you know, CFO to sign off on things. You're getting it approved in the budget. The result is crucial. But there's also the win. And that's not the objective metric driven thing. It's the subjective personal win that this person wants or needs in order to really get amped about this uh, project. And I think when you're talking about some of those like evaluative moments, when a buyer should like, how did someone else like weigh these priorities in terms of what was important to them? Like you want to be trying to think also, and I, I can't believe I'm a seller trying to talk to marketers about marketing, but like, you know, we're, we're, we're all just trying to figure things out, but this has at least just been helpful for me. And I've seen it be a useful in that methodology. I'm, I'm trying to tell stories that accomplish both, right? Like I, I want to get them their results and I want to get them their win. And I want to try and tie the, tie each together in a way that they're, I mean, they're going to get fewer win results. They're going to get fewer wins, fewer results with their competitor. Like, and, and, and from an evaluation standpoint, that can often tip more than the KPI that you put on the table. That should be the ultimate thing driving the decision, right? It's, it's the full orb story appealing to them in the throbbing moment of just wanting to save a little bit of time or not have to add that extra thing to the spreadsheet or whatever it is um, that you can then also ground, hmm. of course, at the end of the day and KPI. That is super interesting. You almost have like two completely different cases there. One person's very thinking about when you're talking about the person with the throbbing pain, they're probably very much currently rooted in this like subjective, what is causing me pain right now? And they're not and not not that they're not understanding, but they're not seeing the the greater results that could that can occur here. Um, and that's through no fault of their own. They're probably under a lot of duress, and that's it's it can be difficult. And then actually, even I'm curious, even though you mentioned that you like like to work with the people that have that good sense of the organizational um, what their direction and what their KPIs should be and what their results should be, do you have to? Do they also value bringing in that kind of the uh, the winning part of it too, like the subjective part of the selling process that you bring to the table there? Everyone always needs win results, at least on Miller Hyman School of Thought. And I personally, like the business to business selling is not a thing. Like you are not like companies don't buy things. They're inanimate objects. Like people buy stuff. People make choices when they feel things. So if you aren't getting someone a personal win, now that win can be grounded in the objective metric, but why do they care about the objective metric so much? Is it because they want the promotion? Is it because they, uh, you know, want to set up that career trajectory of putting their name on a dollar amount that they were able to make happen for a program? And you're not making a big career happen, you know, in, in the future in a lot of ways without those sorts of numbers tied to your name, right? Like there's all sorts of reasons that the two weave together. And I don't want to be so, um, uh, attempting to like systematize a thought that I'm creating binaries and dividing things where they often are a lot more melded together. But I'm just saying, if you're not speaking to both parts of a person, each person that's making a decision for like, you're, you're missing so much of what's going to actually help them just like see value in what you're doing and your organization getting this deal moved across the line. And you know, when I think about 
when I think about, do I, per, like, I don't judge, right? Like if you're more, if you're like more in your personal throbbing pain versus if you're thinking at the organizational level, like I don't judge, like it's not my job. I'm here to help you. But the best stories have a way of hitting both and to forget either. It, you're just, you're leaving so much opportunity to serve people on the table because you're not making it easy for them to apprehend all you can bring to the table for them. And, and before we finish here, I, I know we've kind of gone down a bit of a, a tangent here, but as well, bringing that back to competitive, like you, you naturally with that debate background kind of have that storytelling um, kind of gene within you. But, I think it was actually the spoken word poet in me that brought that to debate more than the other way around, but fair. A man of many talents. Uh, I realize now hearing that back that it just sounds like I was trying to slip. <laughs> Here's another accomplishment. I'm the worst person. I'm just saying like, I know a lot of debaters that can't tell stories. Like that's I'm more roasting my debate friends than I am gassing myself up. But, yeah. but um, in terms of like the people that are providing those battle cards and competitive content, I, again, I think you're mentioning there that as a salesperson, you want content that can marry the two. It's not just this grocery list of these are our features and it's not just some whimsical story that is not rooted in reality there's there's got to be a, a point where you meet in the middle and that's how you build a real story that you can actually tell and feel confident telling and i think that's that's really what it comes down to when i when i'm hearing you speak here and i am hopeful like I'm, i bump into a lot of marketers that get that and that's awesome um and i bump into a lot of marketers that are still like figuring out some of those pieces. And, and frankly, like I, I try and talk to my sales people, like friends, leaders and whatever, or I get the chance because like we as salespeople under leverage the partnership that we've got available to us in our marketing friends and our sales enablement friends to make the best things happen for the business. Because we sit here and we think we know everything all the time. Like there's, there's, it's not a one side of the situation has to figure it out, but the team, the businesses that do not get these teams working as teams, they're going to get dusted. Um, and the individuals that don't figure out how to work as a teammate, um, I mean, the same thing could be said for them, right? So I'm, we've got a lot of things to do and figure out on the sales side of things, but I just love getting a link up with marketing homies like you, Adam, that I appreciate knowing that stuff. All right. With that said, that's a good, that's a good note to finish on that. Adam, how wholesome, how wholesome is this? Oh man. I I'm loving this. I'm loving this. All right. That was Jacob Geberwald. I'm sure he's going to be back many times, many, many times on this podcast. And we thank everyone for your time and we'll see you all next week.